Thank you for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. Today we're going to hear from one of the best known executives in the modern music industry and how he has evolved his career. But first, time to remind you all to go rotor your videos. Rotor is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rotor makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rotor logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Welcome to the show, CEO of Merlin, Jeremy Sorota. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to be here today and especially on this topic. All right. And so, listeners, I'm going to make an admission at the beginning of this podcast. This is the second time I've asked Jeremy to do this because um, I'm afraid I messed up the audio last time around. So that if you want to know what type of guy this is, this is who you're, you're dealing with, somebody who will take the time to talk to me a second time. <laughs> so, Jeremy, I really do truly appreciate you doing this uh, for the podcast. Uh, I think this is an important one that we, uh, we need to have out there. Um, and so... Well- yeah, go on. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, which is uh, one of the themes that we will hit on is uh, perseverance, uh, <laughs> which is a, a large component of a career trajectory and, and how you find success. So let's, uh, we'll weave in some stories about that. But no, I'm happy to do it. Uh, for those, by the way, who don't know what Merlin is, we are the Independence Digital Music Licensing Partner. Uh, and uh, I'm, we will get to that somewhere in this podcast, but happy to be here again with you, Alex. Yeah, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. So the, the path that you've been on in recent years, I think, has been very influential to the music industry, uh, but also inspirational to people like myself. You know, I saw you go from when we first met as a straight-up lawyer, you know, working in a, a, at a record company, to uh, to later at Facebook, where we were doing some, you know, some really interesting, innovative stuff uh, with those guys. And then, of course, you know, you're now leading the charge uh, over at Merlin, which is really fascinating. So that, that's what we're going to focus on. And thank you for giving the, the lowdown on, on what Merlin is. That's not always obvious if you're not necessarily in that space. So I appreciate that. But where did it all start? Like, I think we need to kind of like go all the way back to the beginning, because as I've just sort of very briefly outlined there, you've made a couple of like fairly significant changes to your career direction. So, I mean, has that always been the case? Have you jumped around a lot or, or has this been sort of the grand plan that you've just been sort of executing as you've been going through? Both good is, is the short answer. Um, you know, the longer answer uh, is that, you know, someone one asked, once asked me once, what, what's your favorite job? You know, what, what have you enjoyed the most? And I gave an answer that was completely honest, but, you know, especially for folks who may be early in the career, may not make as much sense, which is every, every job I've had at each component or each stage of my life has been my favorite job. And the reason why is each one has been sort of a component of like what I've wanted to, to learn, the ways I've wanted to grow. And so let, let me give a little bit more context to what you, you mentioned, which is, so my, my career trajectory was five years at a large global law firm where I was a technology lawyer focused on primarily on the intersection of content and technology. Uh, and, you know, I... Uh, I did that um, with a lot of you know, software companies, early SaaS companies, a lot of content companies working in the uh, digital space, which back then was still very nascent. And then one of our clients was Warner Music Group, uh, who had an opportunity to do 
oh God, I, I, I was trying to think of numbers, probably almost 200 deals are different matters. You know, not all, every one of them was a licensing deal uh, on their behalf. And I worked with their technology teams. I worked with their IT teams and I worked with their biz dev team as well. And I then went to Warner Music Group where I was there for nine years. And it was, a, so we can get into that, but an evolution of my role there. And then I joined the Facebook music team. I was the, the fifth person to join that, that team. Uh, and I was there for two years. And if this opportunity with Merlin had, hadn't come along, I probably would have still been there because it was a really great experience, great people to work with. Uh, but each one of those elements of my career, to come back to your question, really was so critical about where I was sort of at that time in my life and what I was able to learn uh, from those experiences, the people around me that I was able to um, just gain a variety of experiences. But when I've thought about my career, you know, I don't, I, it really, to me, and this, this may not seem obvious on the surface, it wasn't jumping around. It was actually a very clear uh, growth pattern about what I wanted to learn and where I wanted to go. And, you know, just to hit on a theme that I think is super important that I even talk about internally at Merlin with the team is, you know, no one is going to invest in your own career as much as yourself and taking a very proactive stance and um, leaning into that. And, and because it takes time and energy, right? It's really difficult to think, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? You know, what does my life look like? You know, what does my day-to-day -day look like? Who am I working with? Right? All those are really hard questions. And the earlier you start thinking about that, the better. And just one more little story I'll share, which I think, you know, I find interesting, is everyone warned me not to go to law school. Literally everyone. From my family to my friends to uh, others who were lawyers. And they all had different reasons why they, they said that. There's so many different paths you can take in life. Um, I was originally thinking about getting a PhD. Uh, and the reason that convinced me, uh, based on that advice, is I said, okay, if I'm going to become a lawyer, and all, so many people are, are, are sort of waving red flags at me, I better have a very clear path in mind about what my career is going to look like over a long term uh, trajectory. And I think that that just sort of those signals from them actually really helped set me on a course of thinking more long term. Okay, well, a couple of things in that. I mean, normally people sort of go be a doctor or lawyer, especially, you know, parents, right? That's the sort of sensible choices that you're supposed to, to make in life. So it was interesting to hear that you, you said people were kind of were advising against that. But also, uh, PhD, what would you have done that in? Well, I don't think I've heard that one before. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, uh, so I went to uh, Berkeley undergrad, uh, and funny enough, I actually started off pre-med, uh, uh, which, you know, after one year of that, I was quickly uh, disabused of any desire to, to enter the medical profession because, not because I have anything against it, my, actually my sister's in it, but simply because it just was not a fit for me and my personality. And then I started, uh, I was going to be a rhetoric major. Uh, which is similar to sort of a philosophy major. Uh, and then uh, what actually disabused me of that is you actually have to take a language uh, to get that uh, degree. And I'm just uh, atrocious with languages. <laughs> I just, I, you know, math, you know, science, logic, they all compute in my head. There's just something about languages that just doesn't compute. And it goes back to like, honestly, when I was like five years old, right? Which is when 
you're most receptive of learning languages. And so then I decided, okay, I can't become a rhetoric major. And then I focused on political science and international relations, which I really loved. I did a, a lot of work. I ended up taking graduate level classes uh, at Berkeley, uh, and I ended up writing a thesis you know, focused on uh, the World Bank and the paradigms of development structures. And I really enjoyed it. I really, I, I loved the research, the deep research, the deep concentration it required. And so I, I thought it would be really interesting to d dive deeper into that. Uh, and then I thought about the reality of it's anywhere from seven to 11 years to get your PhD. Oh, wow. And so I took a very different course. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and also uh, you were, you mentioned the the Warner gig is not just a you being a lawyer at Warner. What, what, what happened there? I mean, you, you've moved through a few different sort of departments. Yeah, so I, uh, I felt very lucky uh, to join Warner when I did and the division I entered. Uh, I was hired into a business and legal affairs department uh, that's uh, for an entity called WIA. Uh, which at the time, it's, it's evolved since I've left, but it was the Artists and Label Services Division. Uh, what, what, does that we, meant, what does WEA stand for? Oh, yeah, thank you. That's a good one. It stands for <laughs> Warner Electra Atlantic, which when it went, of course, yeah. when it was first, uh, this division was first created uh, by a gentleman named Jack Holtzman, who's just a legend. He's the founder of Electra Records. Uh, I had the privilege of working with him a number of times at Warner uh, if you don't know him, you should look him up in his career, which is incredible. But So that's WIA, and it was intended as sort of a centralized shared services on behalf of the internal labels and other divisions at Warner. And so for me, that was a bit of a natural sort of transition. You know, being a lawyer is very much a service organization as well. So entering another service organization on behalf of different divisions. So at the time, it evolved, and we have continued to add more to its remit, but we were supporting the web and e-commerce teams, CRM, data, research and analytics, uh, physical, uh, physical supply chain and sales, digital supply chain. I'm sure I'm forgetting more divisions. There's a lot there. There's always and, another floor of Warner doing something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, oh, merch. I, I told you I'm going to forget a couple divisions there. But it was really, it was wide licensing. Gosh, it was really wide Trademarks. ranging. Trademarks. No, I mean, we, we just should <laughs> stop, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's what was exciting to me is I had this opportunity to delve into so many different areas of the company and help support them. And, you know, as, as what I started off was, was in-house counsel to these departments, they needed more than just a lawyer. They need someone really to help them also strategically and commercially, which was what was exciting to me about the role. And so I was at Warner's for nine years, and I supported WIA that entire time. I ended up running that division uh, at WIA. And then I just started layering on more. And, you know, part of it is just that's my nature. Uh, I very much like to, you know, dive into areas where I have sort of some expertise, but there's a lot of a learning curve involved. So I started doing more in the M&A space. I started doing more with equity deals on behalf of different divisions. Uh, I started supporting ADA uh, and working with them. And so I just had this unique opportunity to work in such a a large number of different areas, and, and sometimes as a lawyer, but by the end, primarily sort of as a business sponsor, 
and just more on the strategy strategy side. And to me, that was just exciting. And uh, so that was that was a good nine years and just so many varieties of experiences. But once again, going back to a theme I mentioned earlier, they all came about because either A, I just took that proactive you know, investment in my future, or B, I just had the support of really good people around me who sort of mentored, encouraged, and supported me. And I can attest to uh, what you just described there. That the listeners will know that I uh, was uh, the GM over at ADA Warner um, doing the, the level music products. And, and you know, I, I'd never built what I was sort of calling consumer-facing tech at that time. And Jeremy, quite rightly, stopped me on a few occasions just went, have you thought about this? You know, like there's some pretty significant copper fines that you might want to avoid by having parental approvals on the, on the platform. So there were lots of things like that that you did that, you know, a sort of fairly sort of typical uh, stereotype of a lawyer is somebody who's quite dry and just does the the contracts bit. Um, But you absolutely sort of went, what are you building? Like, what is this? So, you know, how can I help? And, um, you know, we we did some good stuff there, uh, you know, sort of paraphrase contracts for click through and things like that. So, and all of that, you know, there's no way I would have been able to do it without having somebody like you in the team to to help support that. And I I know that that was probably just a sort of an addition to your day to day. (laughs) So I really appreciate you giving me all of that time. So I'm sure you didn't need to. Um, So that, that, that was, that's great. I really appreciate that. Cause I think, you know, there's, like I've typically moved around companies as I as I've gone through, whereas of course some people can find that good home uh, in a larger organisation where they can kind of migrate and move. But it isn't just about sort of promotions and titles and things like that. As you said, you've got to invest in who you are uh, so that you can actually be useful as you sort of get sort of older and wiser in the roles or, or more more useful to other departments. So um, thank you for describing that experience. Well, can I? I yeah, I love that you you brought that up. Um, titles and promotions. I actually think that's a really important point. The, uh, let's just start off with the, 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 the foundation, which is they're important, right? There's, you know, it's, whether it's important about just sort of a, a marker of achievements, right? Uh, there's reasons why they give medals out, right? There's reasons why there's ranks in organizations. Uh, and uh, it's great to focus on those and to have those as in, in your mind about achievements for yourself. But I think sometimes people get lost in why they matter. What, what matters is that you have opportunities for growth, you have opportunities for a variety of experiences, you have opportunities to take leadership roles, right, within whether that's leading an initiative or taking a lead on a project or coming up with an idea around how to, you know, approach something new within an organization. And I think sometimes the sort of title and promotions you know, sort of become, you know, almost the dominant thought process as opposed to you're putting the cart before the horse. You should focus on all those areas because those are actually what lead to the titles and promotions, right? What am I doing to drive, you know, change, right? For anyone working, especially purely in the digital space, but even any space, physical space as well, there's so much change and evolution happening and it's the pace of it's increasing, and your ability to, you know, be a change agent within an organization and even just little small things can really make a difference. And those things can also exhibit what then leads to those promotions and titles. And I think sometimes people put, you know, they, they put one before the other and they need to focus on that first. And that's why I talk about investing in yourself and your growth because that actually leads to the recognition, that actually leads to the promotions and titles 
And so I always, I always like to zero in on that one so people can sort of reset their thinking around it. Yeah, that, that's absolutely crucial. I absolutely agree with you. So yeah, f- you know, focusing on what you're doing, guys, for sure. Um, Facebook. So that, that, was, that was quite a, that, I mean, that was a surprise, I think, to, to a lot of people when, when, you, when you went there. I mean, how did that come about? Did you, uh, you know, apply to a small ad in the back of a magazine? I mean, how, how, how do things like that happen? <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes, that's exactly how it happened. In fact, uh, there was a classified. Uh, I just you know, the. I'll step back and give the sort of you know the parable about this and, and or the axiom. I don't think this is a parable. Uh, the axiom about it, and then I can talk about how it actually happened, which is one of the uh, lessons I actually learned from my mom, which I'll attribute to her, which is give like you have no expectation of return. And it's, 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 it's tough to do that sometimes, right? Especially when we have limited time uh, uh, in our days. You know, our days are getting more crowded. Uh, you know, people, there's more people we're interacting with. Our ability to interact with more people is greater. Uh, the tasks involved with this sort of more crowded ecosystem becomes more. So it can be really hard to do that sometimes. Right. So you, you 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 have to be somewhat calculating about where you invest your time. But that thesis um, actually really pays dividends because what it is, is you're making an active investment in other people. And so if we then take that and say, how did Facebook come about? Uh, so I was really humbled, by the way, to be to, to even be offered this. But Tamara Rivnak, Rivnak, who took over as head of music as Facebook and started uh, this sort of journey of music experiences at Facebook and Instagram and the other platforms, you know, she reached out to me. And we had actually overlapped in two different places. We, we had overlapped at the law firm for a period of time. Uh, we both worked at Warner Music, albeit in different divisions. And when she had moved on uh, from there to a different role, I just stayed in touch with her. And the reason I stayed in touch with her is not that I ever expected a job from her, I just thought she was extremely intelligent, she was unbelievably capable and strategic, and honestly, I enjoyed her perspective more than anything. And that's what I mean by investing in others like you expect nothing in return. I never expected that, and when she reached out to me, uh, it was just a really unique opportunity. Uh, I, you know, My background, which we didn't focus too much on, but my original background was really in technology from an early age. My dad was an engineer, you know, I used to pull apart computers, do these teardowns of like Apple IIe's II and put them back together with him. I, I did programming for uh, a long time as a kid. Uh, and that opportunity to then take all these experiences that I had uh, with that intersection of content technology, you know, with what I now grown to love music and the music space and being able to support, you know, creatives. And then be able to go to such a massive platform like Facebook, technology company, but still sort of at, sitting at that crossroads, which is such a unique opportunity. And they hadn't launched anything. They hadn't done anything yet. So being there in the early days and being able to work closely with product managers who were thinking through like what products and features they wanted to build around music and how to build them and how to relate and work with the industry. It was just such a unique opportunity that it was uh there was no saying no 
one of the big takeaways there is obviously relationships um, and being able to maintain those. It's something we've heard before on this podcast, and uh, and that is, that is a fantastic example of it. And I really like the uh, the thing that was it you sorry it was your mother that, that taught you that give like give, give like you you expect nothing in return. That, yeah. yeah, that was an early lesson from her from my youth. And, you know, listen, it was it was probably amplified. I did. I also did Boy Scouts uh, <laughs> right. for my entire like, youth. Listen, me so. too, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm an Eagle Scout, which I'm still quite proud of. It took a, it's, it's a lot of investment to get there. Uh, you know, my parents were big outdoors. Uh, you know, the, this may not resonate in every country in the world, but they're members of a company called REI, which was one of the earliest companies that sort of invested in the outdoors and, you know, things like backpacking, which really didn't exist as sort of a concept when they were growing up. And so there's, there's all these other elements to our lives around, you know, sort of the outdoors and the environment and sort of um, just how they were raised and, you know, um, so, just, you so know you, all these things come together. So you can use a, a paper map and a compass, can you, for orienteering? So I'm, I'm going to admit it's been a while. <laughs> Look, <and laughs> if I got dropped in the forest, I may struggle if my cell phone isn't working. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, just like for anyone who's in technology or a programmer, the last language I programmed in was Pascal. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was in 1993. So don't have expectations that I'm some expert SQL coder here. That's excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear how you, uh, you, you're doing that stuff with your dad. I mean, my, my dad brought home an old uh, ZX81, which was, I think, one of the first sort of microcomputers. And, you know, I remember copying the, uh, what they called the basic language out of books to create computer games, you know, whilst all my mates were putting floppy disks in in the machines and just watching them load up <laughs> it's been like two days like copying code into this thing I, I, when I go home to my parents house my dad still has floppy disks in Amazing. his office his home office even though he has absolutely no ability to read them <laughs> uh, which is fantastic uh, funny enough I was just having an email exchange you know Tandy Corporation who launched the TRS-80 uh-huh. Uh, they launched it yesterday uh, in 1977, and I was just having a nice exchange with a bunch of friends in tech who uh, were, well, some of them were much older than me and remember it. I was barely born uh, at that point, but it was, you know, it was really what started us down this path of where we are today in many ways. Yeah, amazing. That's excellent. Okay, so uh, so we've done Facebook. So Merlin, so Merlin, first CEO role. Um, how did uh, how did you feel about sort of taking on that type of uh, ultimate responsibility for it? So the honest answer is a little terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was there was probably three elements to that, which is, you know, one, it was my this is my first time as a CEO. Uh, the second, it was the first time in change of CEO at the organization. Of course, at yeah. And then third is it's such an important organization on behalf of independents around the world, whether labels, distributors, you know, and other rights holders that, you know, it really stuck in my head was unless I would be able to contribute and really add value to what was such a foundationally strong and mission driven organization, you know, I just, I couldn't step into the role and what ultimately got me to the place, uh, you know, once, of course, I got offered the role, right? That was, that was a, you know, a journey to get there. Sure. Uh, and a good one, right? It's a good process to go through to make sure, you know, once again, for every job, fit is so important. And fit goes both directions, mm-hmm. right? 
You want, you want it to be a good fit for the employee and you want it to be a good fit for the company. And, you know, by going through this process, one of the things that I, I found was that so many elements of what Merlin did are things that I've done in my career. Uh, whether it's around, you know, the uh, membership, right, and working, and especially working with independents. You know, uh, I had done that to a, a large degree at ADA when I was at Warner, but then I really took it to the next level at uh, Facebook in my role as global head of licensing for independents, where, you know, I was going from, you know, obviously North America, but then going to Europe and to Brazil and to Indonesia and to Egypt and really, you know, going around the world to meet independents where they are, right, and to understand where, where they're coming from. And, and that sort of global purview and view I got and the things I learned from, from independents around the world, you know, that gave me a huge comfort factor into stepping into this role. You know, I, you know being a lawyer, as you can imagine, you know, so much of what we do is negotiate premium deals with digital partners on behalf of our members. And not only being a lawyer, but then, you know, and having worked in technology, but also having done it on the Facebook side, negotiating from the perspective of a digital partner, and just having done this with so many partners uh, and services, I think that gave me a comfort factor. So much of what we do is operational. You know, and that was my role at WIA for nine years, was on the operational side of the business. And when I looked at the dis different facets of my career and I looked at what Merlin does and where I could drive value and help build what was such a strong organization, I, I thought I was capable of that. And that's what sort of got me feeling comfortable and less terrified uh, about stepping into the role and that, that I could do something of this nature. Awesome. And so was it something that you, you'd seen come up or was it the, the type of role that you were thinking of stepping out of uh, what was probably quite a comfortable position at Facebook? Was it something you just saw or was it something you were really sort of focus, focused on? Uh, neither. Neither. Uh, in right. fact. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll go back to the example of, you know, how it once again worked, uh, how I got the role at Facebook. It was actually quite similar at Merlin, which is right. I was approached about the role. And once again, I'm sh I, I, not only am I sure, but I know that they approached many people about the role. So I wasn't the only one. But once again, it just came back to there was a certain individual who I had stayed in touch with over many years and had absolutely no view that there would be an opportunity. But I just once again thought they were really interesting, really thoughtful. Uh, they cared deeply and passionately about music. And they were the ones who put my name sort of on the list. And it just kind of, it evolved from there. And it kind of, you know, it's sort of that, you know, uh, I always like to call for, for those who take a much more active role in their career progression, there was the four stages of, of the conversation. It was like, oh, well, this is nice to be, you know, put in, the, put in a process around being, you know, being, becoming a CEO. And then second stage was, oh, this is like a fun intellectual exercise, right? Like that's how my brain operates. Like I, I love to blue sky. I like to think about the future and brainstorm against it. So it, it sort of slotted into that. Uh, the third stage was like, oh, my gosh, I think I could get this job, right? Like I think this might be possible. And then the fourth stage, which I talked about a little bit, is like 
do I want this job? <laughs> and that's where I talked about the three elements of like, it, you know, and, and I thought a lot about fit for myself personally, right? Of running an organization, balancing your personal life against that, you know, growth opportunities. You know, I'm now uh, 19 months into the job and I still feel like I'm learning every day. I'm learning from my team. I'm learning from my board, from my members, from our partners. I've had this incredible opportunity to dive into areas, you know, office reopenings, right? How do we think about that? You know, these are these are things that, you know, I wish I wasn't having to deal with this. Well, I was, I, that is one of the, the questions because, of course, you, not only was this your first CEO role, but you managed to pick, it, pick up that role just to the point where the entire world was uh, affected by a pandemic and ultimately lockdown and then remote working. So please finish your, your thoughts. But that's, that's where I'd love to sort of hear more about, you know, your experiences. No, it's been, it's been such a massive component of of my role as CEO. So I started in January of 2020 and we actually shut down our offices in Tokyo a little bit earlier, but you know, we were shutting down um, our offices basically about 70 days uh, into the job. And suddenly what I thought my my what my plan was suddenly changed dramatically. And so we we're our offices are all still shut down. We have, you know, Three, three offices around the world in London, in Tokyo, and here in New York. Um, we, you know, we have a remote worker as well in the Netherlands. And, you know, this has become a huge part of our organization's growth. You know, more than half our employees have started a, in a work-from-home scenario. And that's been really interesting to think through and how to help the organization and help people Right? There's only so much you can achieve. I can't help someone if they live in a very small apartment with roommates, right? And they don't have a lot of space, right? Like there's certain just physical realities, right? I can't bend spoons. But what we can do is try to provide the support and resources to the team. And so much of it has been about accelerating um, our growth into SaaS tools and using those um, you know, we've, I've taken a lot of the concepts that I learned from Facebook, in fact, where we always had a very sort of remote scenario in the sense that I had people work for me in different countries, teams were spread out around the world, we were always dealing with different time zones, you know, we were on video conferencing during my time there. And so, so many of those concepts we've incorporated into our culture so we have, you know, our sort of weekly stand-up, we call it. It's our all hands. And it, but it's short. It's not like an hour. It's 15, 20 minutes, right, to avoid the overscheduling, right? Um, we have everyone, you know, um, in, we put everyone into like what, what I call a remote employee uh, uh, mentorship program where everyone has the opportunity to sit in on someone's sort of weekly meeting, so, for, so they could sit in on a bit technology and business solutions team and hear what their sprint planning looks like. Or they could sit in on financial reporting and understand the challenges that they're working through. Or our deal team, they can sit on and, and listen to that's what a, they're doing with that's partners. That's a really nice idea. That's a, I mean, it's a really good idea. One, to help people understand what each, everybody else is doing, but also perhaps the, you know, give some of those folks a a little window into potentially where they might move to next in terms of uh, direction? You know, once again, we had so many different concepts at, at, when I was in the technology world around sort of cross-functional um, roles, cross-functional communication, and how do you build sort of what I like to call more tendrils of connectivity. 
And so the more you can understand the challenges that other teams are working through, more you understand even just their day-to-day, the more you can build those tendrils, and that's the more that creates opportunities uh, that you may not have known existed before, and especially in a world when we're all working from our own offices. And you can't have those sort of one-off conversations or, you know, which, by the way, you can't do now as teams get more global, right? And so trying to ensure that you create those moments and opportunities between teams has been, um, I I think, really beneficial. And some of the other things that I guess taking on a role that is just so far elevated apart from being the CEO, you're literally having to, to, to run the organization. But what are some of the biggest adjustments you've had to make? Because one of the things that just dawned on me is that you've gone from being, you know, a lawyer that, that you know, was very personable and would, would have been in lots of different meetings. You weren't just sort of buried in the back room, just shuffling paper. Uh, not that not necessarily any lawyers do that, but, it's, but you know, I was trying to paint an extreme. Um, but, but I mean, you know, th- this role, it was really taking you as an individual from being somebody who could just let other you know, CEOs or, or sort of voice boxes of, of the industry be on those panels and do all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, obviously we've not had the conferences, but you you are now way more visible. Uh, that was that something that was a bit of trepidation, or were you quite excited by that? I mean, how do you feel about that aspect? Great question. Uh, if your hands aren't trembling, then you're not pushing yourself. Is what I what I like to say. Very good. And you know, I've had to push myself into a lot of different areas where I didn't have a ton of experience before, you know. Um, so just to give you example, and, and I, you know, like we have, obviously we have a press team that we work with. And, you know, you, though I had been involved with, you know, press, it was always very tangentially. And so in this sense, now I'm working and managing them directly. And I'm managing teams that, while I had a lot of finance and P&L experience, I'd never managed a team of that nature. And so uh, it's, it's both, right? There's, you know, as I said before, if you're not a little terrified, then you're not pushing yourself. Um, but you want to make sure you're not so terrified that you're so far over your skis that you're going to do a disservice, which is why I talked about the thought process I went through to make sure that I felt comfortable, that I could not only step into this role, but that I could really drive more value. And yeah, some of the, you know, public speaking was not a big component, once again, of what I had done previously in my career. And, but what I did is I took steps to make sure that I could do this effectively, right? And, you know, for me, I, you know, just to be transparent, I took, a, I took media training and I worked with an expert to help me about, you know, I've always been and I've always enjoyed telling stories. It's a big component of my, of what I just enjoy personally, but ensuring that, you know, on even just something like this, there's so many different audiences that are probably listening to this. It could be people who aren't even in music, who may not know anything about the industry or people who are artists or people who are, then you have people with maybe 30 years experience in this industry. And so how do you make sure that you can speak in a voice to all those different audiences? Uh, so once again, for myself, I find that exciting. Um, I love to just lean into different experiences and try to figure out how to thrive in them. And so that's, you know, if we go back to the theme of this, this conversation, it's one of the most important components that your career and thinking about is like, what do you value? right? What matters to you? Where, where do you find your voice in a way that you can be your most real self? 
And this is where I kind of find I can be my most real self is in situations like this. Uh, very good. Thank you very much. And um, so over over your career, you must have had people that have, you know, I mean, you've mentioned a few people already, but that have had a, a bit of an impact. You know, they've given you some sort of wise words and, and some other things. And you obviously mentioned your mum, which well done. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, were there any other mentors that you felt, felt really sort of helped you and any sort of specific examples of that? Yes. So... Uh... <laughs> In some ways, I feel like this is an award. It's like I, there's like at least like a dozen plus people I could mention. <laughs> uh, so please, if I don't mention your name here, uh, don't be offended. You had a tremendous impact on my life. You know who you are. But maybe let me share one that I think would be most relevant here uh, and helpful for an audience who's thinking about their, their careers, which is... Uh, so when I was at Warner Music, uh, there was a gentleman named Matt Signori who ran WIA, which was that artist and label services division at Warner Music. And my boss at the time, who was running the business and legal affairs department for that division, moved on to a different role. And I had been at the music company for less than three years, right? So if you think about where I came from, you know, I was basically a technology lawyer for five years before that, and only three years experience uh, at Warner's. And one of the things that, to keep in mind, why you know, because I had a little bit of a non-traditional entry into music, right? I was not like a college DJ. I didn't manage bands, you know. I wasn't working at like the House of Blues or a sort of a venue, right? I didn't have any of those sort of what you almost consider traditional entry points into how you might get into music. And so I, I share that by way of saying. When my boss stepped away and he recommended that I take over the division, that was like a huge leap of faith that he had to take on my behalf and instill trust that I could manage this department, I could support all the divisions at WIA. I mean, I think at that time there were almost 400 people working at WIA. You know, there was at least eight or nine different departments who needed support from, you know, a business legal affairs department. And so what it started as was a leap of faith. And what it extended into was just investing in me, right? So he brought me into the senior management team, right? From day one, it wasn't like, let's sort of slowly bring him in and see how he does. He just, he brought me in. He always made time for me. And he was someone who just sort of invested in me. And those are the sorts of people that just also inspire you to want to do better, want to do more. And that's why I always go back to, you know, taking that genuine interest in other people. And, you know, once again, you need to be careful about how you invest your time, right? You, can't, you, you never want to spread yourself too thin, right? Burnout is a real, uh, is a real thing. We've most people have probably felt it at some point in their career. Uh, you know, you don't want to be taken advantage of, right? Um, because that's another real thing in this day and age. Uh, well, maybe in every day and age. Um, but that sort of investment in others, I've also received that from people like Matt and from others in my career, right? Whether it was Tamara bringing me into Facebook. You know, my bosses and at the time at Facebook, same thing, invested in me and made time for me. And so maybe I've just always been surrounded by that. And that's where my 
headspace comes from, whether from an early age or the people around me. But that was really just instrumental in some ways just giving me sort of also more faith in, in my evolution into the music industry, having, you know, come from a law firm before that. The way you talk about your career and your, yourself, it is clear that you've given everything a lot of thought and you're quite self-aware and, uh, and you care about relationships as much as you care about, you know, not burning out yourself and not, not spreading yourself too thin and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, what, what, sort, of, what sort of drives you to, to be like that, to, to give it so much passion and thought and not just sort of, you know, turn up nine to five, kick the can down the road and, and you know, go home again? What sort of drives you to be the, this sort of tenacious individual? Oh boy, that is a deep question. Um, let, let me meander for a second because I, I don't know if I've thought about this one for a minute, uh, but I, I think there's, there's probably two things that drive me um, a lot, which is uh, one is just I'm naturally inquisitive. Right. And and in fact, um, if you if you have to think about uh, if I have to stop for a second, think about one of the things I had to pivot around a little bit as I came into this role was, you know, when I was at Facebook, I was working, you know, in in an environment where things were just changing and you just constantly had to be adapting. And so all of us were just thinking out loud all the time. And I tend to think out loud. It's how I visualize. And you can't do that as CEO. Right. Um, that can actually, because that can create confusion, that can create uncertainty. There's a reason why a lot of CEOs are very um, consistent about messaging. It's because they want to make sure people understand the goals and what matters, right? And so we actually went through an entire sort of goal-setting um, exercise for our company, for each department, for each individual. And then we actually articulated the values of our organization, what matters. And we did it in a way that's the things that we should always be talking about. And so creating that consistent voice was really important. So um, that inquisitiveness has just always been a part of me. I just I love that. I love thinking through uh, different scenarios. I love thinking about the future and, and what it's going to look like. So this maybe goes back to sort of my rhetoric days in college, right? I just love that sort of, you know, working di- through the different angles. You can see how that could interplay as being a lawyer. And then the second element is just, I like to build things, right? And that can, that can sort of um, showcase itself in many ways, right? It can showcase itself in building a large organization. How can Merlin bring more value to our members, to our digital partnerships, right? To the digital ecosystem overall. Uh, you can think about that from a team. How can I empower people more, right? How can I inspire them? How can I create space for them to be more or be their better selves, right? Um, how can we create a better lane for independence in this future? So just that, that building is, I think, always been a part of my personality. Uh, so I guess inquisitiveness and building. <laughs> if I, sorry, it took me, I had a meander to get to the answer because I wasn't ready for... Uh, a, a, deep, uh, a deep question. A deep, yeah, a deep question about myself here. Yeah. Uh, well. but, <laughs> but this goes back to, I guess, one of the themes I was talking about. is like, you know, it's like, oh God, this sounds so cliche, but like know thyself. Like what is it that you like to do and how can you find a way to marry that up, whether it's in your professional or personal life? And that's just, no one's going to know that as well as yourself. And helping, sometimes helping other people find that, just like 
people around me, you talked, going back to that mentor point, some of them just helped me find myself. And I, I shall share, if you don't mind me going, going down one more lane here, I'll share one example. Um, and this is from my former boss at, at WIA. And one of the things he did for me is he actually put me into these working committees where I had absolutely no experience in them, right? Some of them were like about like deep issues related to artist contracts. And another one was about this like music industry initiative. And neither of which I'd ever dealt with. Um, some of them I was coming into them halfway through the progression. And what he said to me, we said, listen, we need a rep here. And this is a great learning experience for you. Uh, which, by the way, he didn't have to offer to me, right? He could have taken that himself or offered to someone else. So that, once again, getting support from someone, someone putting you into situations where you can learn. And then what he said to me really always stuck with me. He's like, listen, one of the things you're going to get from this is focus on the things you don't like. I said, wait, what does that mean? He's like, focus on how does someone run the meeting, right? How do they present themselves? How do they think through issues? How do they prioritize? And you can always focus on the good things, right? But if you focus on the bad things, you're actually going to learn more from that. You learn more from like what not to do sometimes. And, and that always stuck with me a lot because then going back to I think a lot. I then think about a lot about like, okay, when I run these all hands, what's going to be most valuable to taking 20 minutes of people's lives every Monday for people around the world in different situations, Right. And when I do one-on-ones with, you know, the executive team or others, you know, always have an agenda, always prioritize it, right? Because I learned from so many calls and meetings I showed up with, there was no agenda, there's no prioritization. <laughs> uh, and so I, I always liked that advice. I thought it was, it was really quite good. It was one that stuck with me. Yeah, I, I, I think, I've, think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but I've definitely said it to lots of people in, in the past. I mean, I, I was very lucky to, to be surrounded by some really good people throughout my career, but absolutely did the same thing. There were, there were certain traits of certain people and the way that they operated that I picked out and just thought, I'm never doing that that's awful or that's ineffective or whatever it might be and uh, and yeah so uh, I think one of the things I've, I've said again on this podcast a few times is is something along the lines of listen to everybody then take the bits that you think are right and employ those um, amazingly Jeremy uh, we are coming up on time for this which is pretty impressive um, yeah, so I, you, you, you've done he feels it absolutely but always it's such a pleasure in your company um, any closing thoughts for listeners closing thoughts mm. um yeah, great. I'll, I'll give two. Um, one, I'll just, because I'm such a believer in Merlin, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to, to Merlin, which is come check us out if you don't know us. It's MerlinNetwork.org. Uh, you can find us on all the socials at Merlin Network with two N's. Uh, but if we focus on the theme of this podcast, uh, this is another one I picked up from someone, which I always really liked uh, when, when they were talking about careers, which is they said to me, stay at a job until you have nothing else to learn, nothing else to offer, or they don't want you anymore. And I, I like that because that's, I think it's really important in the sense that, you know, one, you want to continue to be learning, right? Uh, number two, you want to be able to contribute and have impact. Uh, and number three, you want to be at a place where there's a fit and you feel, you feel good about the people you're surrounded by. You feel there's a comfort level, but also being, you're also being pushed along at the same time. 
And so that's, that's, that's a, if I had to sum up how to think about your career, that would be my summation of how to think, uh, think about it. That is really neat. Uh, thank you. That's excellent. Uh, Yes, I mean this. This hopefully this podcast is transposed automatically by my host. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's, that's some really important messaging uh, in there, and I will put links to Merlin org. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it MerlinNetwork.org. out. MerlinNetwork.org. There you go. You got it. God, yeah, with two ends. That was it. That's what you said. Uh, very good. Uh, thank you, Jeremy, so much for uh, for uh, redoing this uh, interview. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this. So thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Thanks again, Alex. Excellent. So to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter handle and Instagram is at Alex Branson, or head to the website www.abcmusic.co, where you'll find a contacts page to get in touch so thanks very much 